0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're watching, however you're watching. This is Quantum of History. Uh, today we're going to be doing A View to a Kill. Meeting you with a view to a kill. Uh, And we're going to be talking more specifically about the history of horse racing and uh, how far it goes back, what is involved in horse racing, and what its part in this today is. And we are going to do so in talking about the cringiest. Oh, ah, a view to a kill. I, you know, I'm a huge James Bond fan. I'm a huge James Bond fan. I'm a huge fan of all the movies, except this one. This one's bad. This one is so cringe. I would, I would never show any of my loved ones anybody I liked, anybody I cared for, anybody I even had some somewhat, somewhat of respect for, I would not show them in this movie. It's just... it's not good from the start it lets you know it's not going to be good uh this the ski scene the music it goes on oh oh raj if if you were to if this wasn't a james bond movie and you saw some creepy old dude like Roger Morris in this in the bathtub doing that massage thing, it's like, oh my god, did you really need the Chanel bag that badly? It's a bad. It's not a good movie. Um, but the plot isn't bad. And there's some redeeming qualities of it. Again, Max Zorn, the idea of Max Zorn isn't bad. Uh the again, supervillains are always the best. And tech tech giant. Uh, bad guy, really pertinent today, could really love to see it today, just in this movie it's just really, it's god awful, it's god awful, there's nothing else to say about it, but we're going to go on to the topic today which is horse racing, which is a very James Bond uh, topic, very much would be somewhere he would go to because The playground of both the elite and the elite of the criminality and the oligarchies and oil tycoons and tech billionaires and all that stuff. Where do they go to have measuring contests? They go to the horse track. They go to horse races. Who's got the bigger horses? Who's got the fastest horse? Everywhere from cartel members to everybody. Everybody wants to get into horse racing. Who are the elites elites? That's where James Bond lives. That's where James Bond thrives and it's the best spot. So let's get into it. Let's get into the topic today horse racing. As is often the case with Bond, um, he's sent to the world of the elites, of the oligarchy, the richest and most influential people in the world, and few realms are as littered with wealthy, corrupt, greedy, shady characters as in the world of horse racing. Horse racing began, um, has long been a a hobby of the wealthy. The insane cost of owning, maintaining, training a world-class horse is in the millions of dollars. The purses, the winning on the betting, um, these all exceed billions of dollars. And with all this money at stake, it's ripe for criminals uh, to make their way in. From heads of Mexican cartels, again, to foreign dignitaries, oil barons, the tycoons of Silicon Valley... Every elite wants to show their dominance in the uh, field of horse racing. It's a status symbol. It's a passion for perfection uh, for the elite of the elites to show uh, who can win in the stratosphere. It is the perfect realm for James Bond to use his talents to solve a case. It's just that too bad this happens to be a pile of hot garbage that is a view to a kill. Uh, But the story itself, it's good. To understand horse racing you have to go back to 4500 BC to the nomads of Central Asia. Here, horses were first cultivated and broken for riding, uh, and horse racing began. Once humans began riding horses, they started racing them. As horses found their way to Greece and Europe, the first Olympic Games held horse racing. Uh, Chariot racing and mounted horses were both featured in the first Olympic Games, and from then, the Roman Empire continued the tradition of horse racing, and the sport has thrived since. Horse racing was a purely sport in its first incarnation, Uh, It was during this reign that Richard the Lionheart, cool name, uh, first uh, the first known prize uh, prize purse was put. The races were ran by knights, and the track was approximately 4.8 kilometers, but three miles. Um, The knights were returning from the Crusades and had brought back Arab horses. These horses had both speed and endurance that was superior to those in Europe at the time. This led to an influx of imported horses, as nobility began to wager on the races. And he race, the arms race for Arab horses quickly grew. And by the 16th century, Henry VIII was importing horses from Spain, Italy, and establishing studs throughout Europe. By 1649, Charles I had a stud of 139 horses at the time of his death. Charles II, who ran from, reigned from 1660 to 85, is considered the father of English turf. It was during this time when prizes were first organized. Charles II also established Newmarket as England's horse racing headquarters. And during the reign of Queen Anne, the rules grew further, uh, purses grew, and the sport became truly professional. Multi-race seasons and purses were created, and the explosion of attendance and spectator betting helped grow venues all throughout England. By 1750, a centralized governing body was created in Newmarket to try to curtail his cheating uh, and create uniformity of rules. James Weatherby uh, began tracing the pedigree of all horses in England. In 1791, he published his first book, his research, uh, called the General Stud Book. And from until then, until today, the Weatherby family has been tasked with keeping track of all the horses uh, bred in the General Stud Book. I mean, it's kind of cool that your family's had the same job for 200 years, but I don't know if I want that one. Oh, Mr. Weatherby, what is it that exactly you do for a living? Oh, I, have a, I, I run the family business. And what is the family business, Mr. Weatherby? Oh, I watch horses have sex for a living. Yes, I watch big s- mares and big stallions have lots of sex. And I write it down in a little book. And that's what I do. Mr. Weatherby, and your family's been doing this for 200 years, we're the only ones, we're the experts on horse sex. What we do is we watch the horses, they fuck, and we love it, and we write it down, and my family has been doing this for 200 years. It's a very important job. Wow, Mr. Weatherby. Well, that is is certainly remarkable, Mr. Weatherby. Ah, for 200 years, my poppy and his poppy and his poppy before him, we love to watch the horses fuck. I mean, good for you. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. 200 years, the same dude. Same family. <laughs> no. No, James. You're not going to college. You're going to watch these horses have sex and you're going to like it and write it down. But, Papa, I want to be a movie star. No. No, you are not. You are going to watch these horses mate, James, and you are going to love it and you are going to write it down like all our beat has. But, Papa... I have dreams. I don't know (laughs) what... I want... I want to be a dancer. (laughs) James, we don't dance in this. We don't dance in this family. We watch horses have sex and that's what you're going to do. But Papa, but Papa, I must dance. No. Now write it down. Again, kind of cool. Kind of cool, 200 years. 200 years of doing that, the same family. Um... I don't know if I'd want to do it. I don't know. I think I'd want to do something else. But to each their own, right? Anyways, going back on topic, these horses that Mister Weatherby wrote down uh, are called thoroughbreds, and every thoroughbred can be traced back to one of three stallions: either Darley Arabian, Byerly Turk, or Godolphin Arabian. If you're not from the bloodline of one of those three stallions, you are not a, you are not considered a stallion, or you're not considered a thoroughbred. So, all the thoroughbreds that you see now have one of three fathers. Slow clap for them. Horse racing crossed the Atlantic um, to America and established the first track, which was on Long Island in 1665. Still not nearly as popular in the States as it was in Europe, horse racing had an explosion after the Civil War. And by the 19th century, horse racing was the biggest sport in America and it was almost exclusively ran by criminal enterprises. By 1894, uh, the biggest names in horse racing got together and created the American Jockey Club, who set out their own rules, which were modeled after England's. As the 20th century began, the Progressive Era started, and things like alcohol and gambling were banned, you know, all the fun stuff. So as gambling was cut out, horse racing was dying too. That was until the Kentucky Derby allowed to have Paramutual. Betting, uh, what this is is it makes it so that the governing body gets their cut as well as the house, and once these cuts are taken out, then the, you're just betting against each other. You're not betting against the house, and with this form of betting allowed, horse track was back on the rise. Talk about a lot in this on this podcast, but you always look at principle versus um, convenience, right? Again, horse racing progressivo was all about. All these morality, you know, we got all those things going. We can't do gambling because it's it's bad and it's bad morality, and we can't have the dr- we can't have the drink, Mister Weatherby. Them in America, they're they're gambling, they're drinking. Cut it all out, cut it all out, Mister Weatherby. Uh, yeah. And until you know, again, it's convenient until someone doesn't want to make money. So it's always when you look at these policies, even back to back then, of course, and still today. You always look, is it, is it is, is something built on principle or is it built on convenience? And are you willing to bend that principle? And if you're willing to bend that principle, um, then it's, it's not that serious of a, of, a, of a statement. So by the end of World War I, Man O' War uh, was stealing headlines by winning races and uh, horse racing was flourishing again. By the 1970s, Secretariat Seattle slew and Affirmed were winning triple crowns. Uh, which in the U.S. are the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Horse racing has waned in popularity, uh, but horse races remain popular with billions of dollars at stake. Gambling has kept it afloat. And whenever there's billions of dollars at stake, crime, corruption, and in some cases, violence are sure to follow. In, in the case of A View to a Kill, Max Zorn and his scientists created a system of pumping drugs into a horse during the race to make it run faster. Now, it's seemingly fictional plotline is not too far from some of the attempts that I've made through cheating. Uh, if you listen to my Zetas episode, I talked about how the Mexican cartel infiltrated uh, race tracks in New Mexico. What they would do is, again, it, it's a show of personal wealth. It's, rival cartels want to show who's got the better race, therefore, who's the better cartel. And there's a story about how one of the Zetas brought $110,000 in a crock pot, um, and then gave it to to try to bribe the horse. That's a rudimentary, that's a very rudimentary form of cheating, just giving somebody cash. Uh, and then there's some comical one. I'm going to tell you a comical one next. And then again, there's more elaborate ones. What you're seeing now with Medina Spirit, who just won the Kentucky Derby, or Bob Baffert, or some of these high-end trainers, um, they get elaborate with the way that they dope, just like Lance Armstrong when he was doping, winning Tour de France. Uh, there's different level there are levels to this and there are different levels. So we're going to go rudimentary, which is cartels just bringing a crock pot full of money. It's pretty rudimentary. The next one's pretty funny, a little more elaborate, and then you got people like Bob Baffert who are keep getting popped putting steroids into your horses. So in 1984 there was a horse called Fine Cotton uh, who was allowed to race at Eagle Farm. Fine Cotton wasn't considered a good horse. He wasn't a contender. So he was going to get good odds. Well, what a crime syndicate thought was, hey, let's take Fine Cotton, let's switch him with another horse and have that horse race as Fine Cotton and no one will know. So they found a horse that they thought was going to be, a, was close, which a much faster horse and probably could win this. So they could bet high on Fine Cotton and even though Fine Cotton they knew wasn't going to win, so they switched it out. Well, a couple days before the race actually started, Fine, the horse that they had to replace, Fine Cotton, got injured, so then they had to find another horse. Well, they found that horse, but Fine Cotton had white marks on his on his legs. This horse did not. So the plan was, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to we'll dye the horse with women's hair product and peroxide, and we'll make it look just like Fine Cotton. Uh, but the problem was they forgot to actually dye the stuff. They forgot it. So on race day. The guy walks in he's like you didn't dye the horse he doesn't have white legs and the guys are like you know I forgot something you had one job you had one job dye the hair legs you can't do it without the white stuff so what they did they didn't have the higher dye they didn't have enough time to do anything else so what they did was they took white paint and they painted the, (laughs) the horse Again, it's at some point no one thought, all right, dog, this this ain't going to work. Like just abandon it, it's not going to work, call it off. Well, they kept going. Again, crime criminals are not always the most are not always geniuses. And this is an example of criminals not being geniuses. So, they kept with it. The guy who, the, the horse that they painted won the race, and suspicions were aroused when they look at the horse and there's white frickin' paint on, on the back of the horse. Oh, no, no, that's it's not, it's not paint. Of course it's paint. How do you not say it's paint? So, without that, that, that got uh, found pretty quickly and they were all punished and banned from racing. And again, comedy of errors. Well, again, that's a re- rudimentary example. Um, there are much. More darker things. Um, horse racing has long been in the hairs of animal activists, and rightly so in a lot of instances. In years past, horses have been killed, uh, beaten, drugged, and endured some horrific treatment. Now the high-end horses, the, the big ones, they live like kings, right? They only have the finest amenities, but those are the high of the high, though. And they're run by reputable, well-established breeders not trainer, and trainers. Not all are so lucky, though. Uh, there are plenty of horses that don't fall fall into the, mi- the million-dollar category who are owned by, again, cartels or other shady enterprises that care much less about the horses and more about the results. High-end, though, drugs and doping have long been a part of, the ho- of horse racing, and the efficacy of these drugs and the size of the horses uh, make doping of the horses a lucrative business. Tests have always far behind the manufacturer um, of drugs, as just like human sports. And there's a feeling like horse racing, like in baseball in the 90s, that everybody knows doping is going on. They're just complacent in letting it happen. Just recently, Kentucky Derby winner Medina, Spir- Medina Spirit tested positive for beta-methasone. It's a steroid pain used to reduce pain and swelling. It's especially dangerous for horses if they break their legs. Like, they are under immense stresses under these races, and they need to feel their extremities. And more likely than not, if they break the leg, they're going to have to be euthanized. And it is for this that horses need to be able, again, to feel their extremities. Even more so is that the trainer of Medina Spirit, Bob Baffert. Now, Bob Baffert is one of the most decorated trainers in horse racing. But this is his fifth horse to test positive this year. He continually denies animals using the animals with drugs, but five times in a year? Begs the question how rampant cheating actually is in horse racing. And what effect does it have on the animals? Now, why do A View to a Kill is a remarkably horrible Bond film? The plot is one that's grounded in realism. A View to a Kill is the only Bond film, like I said, I will not let my loved one see. I can't even bear to see it. The cringe in my eyes. It hurts. Uh, my guy, I tried to watch a movie and it's, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. That being said, Mag Zorn is exactly the type of villain that would own a horse race and exactly the type of villain that would cheat on them. And the idea and plot of You to Kill is not a horrible one, like I said. It's the style, the cheesy Roger Moore. Roger Moore coming up is really creepy. The stunts clearly being done by everyone except for Roger Moore. And just the enormous and undeniable amount of cringe in this movie makes it impossible to defend. But again, thank God there are 23 soon to be 24 other Bond movies which I can proudly and at nauseum brag about to others and watch for myself and enjoy with a well-made libation. This has been uh, Quantum of History. This has been The View to a Kill. This has been Horse Racing. As always, stay positive out there and Grady, what should they be doing? subscribe button. Yeah. Why are you not hitting the last subscribe button?